Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. Sometimes I learn things about American history that I just think, like, shouldn't I have learned about this in school? Maybe unsurprisingly, most of these things deal with our country's treatment of black people. I'm talking about events like the Tulsa Massacre or places like the Great Dismal Swamp, which was apparently a part of the country that was a place of refuge for fugitive slaves ahead of the Civil War. The Swamp is at the center of today's book, Free Water, and it's a young adult fiction book. And here and now, Celeste Headley asked author Amina Lukman Dawson why she chose that route instead of writing just a straight-up history book. And her answer really reaffirmed for me the importance of writing fiction for kids. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Have you ever heard of the Great Dismal Swamp? At one point, it covered a 1,500-mile stretch from Virginia to North Carolina. Indigenous people used it as a hunting ground and a place to take refuge from European colonists. Later on, fugitive slaves would find freedom and refuge there in what were called maroon colonies. My grandfather, the composer William Grant Still, wrote a piece about the swamp. And a novel for young adults imagines what life might have been like inside a maroon colony. It's called Free Water. The author is Amina Lukman Dawson, and she joined me via Skype in February to talk about the book. Now, you live in Arlington, Virginia. When did you first hear about the history of the Dismal Swamp? Ah, I learned of the Great Dismal Swamp some seven or eight years ago, and that was as a result of the research of a wonderful historian by the name of Sylviane Diouf, who did a comprehensive study of the existence of Maroons and Maroon communities here in the United States of America, in the American South. Now, um, there were Maroon colonies all over the place. You would find them in not just North America, but in Africa as well, in South America. Um, Can you explain what a maroon colony is? Absolutely. These are enslaved Africans, usually, who escaped enslavement and went and sought to live clandestine yet free lives in the wilderness that surrounded them. So let's say if there was a nearby forest or mountainous area, or as in the case of my story, free water, a swamp. And and often spoke Creole and, and had their own societies and, and remained pretty protected away, which sounds like this is what the society in your book did, created their own sort of universe. 
Absolutely. It, it allows for a space where they use their own ingenuity, their own their own wits to survive and in some cases to really thrive. And you're right, internationally, especially in places like Jamaica, Brazil, Suriname, they had such robust communities that they're still there to this day. So in Jamaica, yeah. you can find them there and you can see the traditions and culture that they've passed down for generations. So these are powerful spaces that allow us to see what real resistance to enslavement looks like. Their existence really does represent all we need to know about resistance. You know, there's a lot about the Great Dismal Swamp um, that people don't know. I mean, I would imagine your average person doesn't even know it existed or that at some point thousands of people lived there. I can absolutely imagine you deciding to write a nonfiction book about this history. Why instead did you write a novel for young adults? Oh, that's such a great question. Absolutely. Now, you're right. This on its face is wonderful history to know. However, I was looking to go beyond that in that I think that this is also creating a wonderful space for us to have a new conversation about very old topics, um, including our relationship and how we view the enslavement of African Americans in this country. And traditionally, we've had a lot of pain and, I guess, feelings of hardship that are absolutely relevant, but that awkwardness, that pain, that fear, that's also um, been a place where we haven't been able to have real connection that we all would like to have with our enslaved ancestors. And and so this maroon community space, it, it literally creates a space where you can sort of listen and hear the voices of formerly enslaved people. And unlike those places where you were kind of traditionally put in spaces of plantations or the big house or a focus on mistreatment and victimization. Instead, you are in a world where you're able to kind of breathe and experience the world through formerly enslaved people. Uh, And so I thought the use of fiction in this space was wonderful. Um, And and let me just say one more thing. Fiction is a powerful tool. And I go back to my own times when I was in middle school, which is partly why it inspired me to do this. I was struck by stories that had nothing to do with me. For example, the Anne of Green Gables tale. To this day, if you mention the place Prince Edward Island to me, my ears perk up, my heart gets a little warm, and I'm like, oh my goodness, um, what's going on there? And it's a total involuntary reflex <laughs> that I have <laughs> to, to Anne of Green Gables, to, to Prince Edward Island. And it's only through a fictional tale, I have no cultural connection to the place, I know nothing other than that, that I have this And so I said, what if you could use that same fiction tool? What if you could use that powerful tool to connect people with the experiences and the lives and the world and the voices of enslaved and newly freed African-Americans and sort of washing away some of the some of the feeling that comes to tends to go with the awkwardness, the pain, the the victimization and really more centering who they were and allowing us to feel connected to them and understand who they were in a better way. I actually still remember the island San Nicolas Island, which is off the coast of California, only because of the novel Island of the Blue Dolphins. I mean, those right? connections. Yeah, the connections you make as a kid, they they last a long time. They um, last a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, they absolutely do. So th- this book is filled with love and joy, but it begins with a, a some scary stuff. Yeah. So we have two children. Uh, Homer is 12, and his younger sister, Ada, 
they escape from the plantation where they have been enslaved. And they have to leave their mother behind. Um, their mother's recaptured. She keeps telling them, go to the river, go to the river. Homer has to make that decision, uh, whether he leaves his mother behind and takes Ada with him or doesn't. And he continues on to try to get Ada to freedom. Yeah. How do you approach something as scary as this for young adults in a way that's not going to be too scary? I mean, it's serious. Yeah. It's life-threatening, but it that can be a really kind of horrifying prospect for a child. That is true. That is true. And I think that part of what I did was allow us to hear it's particularly this portion of the story through Homer's eyes. And so you're able to kind of hear him navigating through some pretty scary things, but in a way that allows you to feel his own ability to get through them. And so at each point, he kind of, it's like, well, you know, this is the next step I have to take, and this is how I'm going to take it. And so it, there's a certain, I think, amount of safety that comes from that voice. And also, too, although scariness is there, it is wrapped in this sense of love and great yeah. determination. And he, what you really end up feeling is his extraordinary affection for his sister, his extraordinary sense of responsibility, and his extraordinary fear himself of just his own surroundings. Not necessarily what could happen to them as much as like, I'm in a swamp. What am I going to do? <laughs> How am I going to survive? And so this, these sort of survival instincts kind of pop up and allow us to sort of ride with him in a way that is, yes, you do feel that little prickle in the back of your neck, but in a way that also says, you know, I think this kid is going to be all right. I, I am um, very much trying to not give anything away. The incidents <laughs> that we just described happen in the very beginning of the book. <laughs> Um, I found it interesting that um, among the residents of Freewater, and Freewater is the, the settlement that um, Homer and Ada find, or actually they're found and brought to in the midst of the swamp, there are not just children who have um, escaped enslavement. There are also kids that were born there who have yeah. never known what it was like to be enslaved. What was the importance of that comparison? It just creates a wonderful environment for sort of new conversations to happen. So, for example, yes, we have a character who is born in free water and has been free. She is free in her mind and her body. She is so free that she really cannot imagine a world where she isn't meant to succeed, where she isn't meant to be in the world and adventure and accomplish things all of her own. And so imagine her speaking with a, a newly freed person or someone who has known enslavement and hearing his voice saying, hey, you know, I've seen the world out there. You really, that's not a world for you. When, when What happens is for a reader, you're able to better hear what freedom really means from both sides. And you're able to hear really what comes of enslavement and what it means to sort of grow and change and learn what it means to be free. And it, it's a very, I think, poignant way of understanding what enslavement does to a person and understanding what freedom means. And so um, I, I very much enjoyed those interactions because you're able to hear sort of a bit of joy, you're able to hear a bit of sadness, you're able to hear all sorts of growth among the characters. And a little humor. 
And a, it's a great humor. Yeah. <laughs> Especially for one character, you want to say, please, you really don't want to go out into that world. <laughs> it's really not. It's really not better than free water. Um, but uh, yeah. Amina Lukman Dawson's novel for young adults is Free Water. Amina, thank you so much for speaking with me. Uh, thank you for having me so much. To read an excerpt of Free Water, go to hereandnow.org. And let's take a few moments to hear a little more of Dismal Swamp, the piece written by my grandfather, William Grantstill. It's Here and Now. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Charles Schwab, with their original podcast, Choiceology. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and more about why people do the things they do. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com podcast or wherever you listen. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts.